because that is how we will bring you glory. It's when we decrease that you might increase, that we can be magnifiers of the magnificent one. So Lord, as we continue to worship you in in the word and in song and in communion and in fellowship, I pray that it would all be to conform us into the image of your son. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Father, be magnified in this place, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. Come on up. I think it's on. And so, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy in- Sacrifice the kind that the the kind that he will f- find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Great job, Josh. Yeah, go ahead and have a seat and find that passage. If you would, Romans chapter 12, that's where we are this morning. Um, I hope you're ready. We got some soul work to do this morning, and uh, I'm going to ask you to get involved in that process because it is your soul um, that, that, and my soul that we are souls that need the work. And so um, I, it, we're going to be hands-on and tangible today, so I hope you, you came ready to participate And I'll tell you what that looks like in a few minutes. But where we landed, where we ended last week was in Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. It says, and from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that was this crescendo of this doxology that Paul tells. And 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 the question I asked was, are you ready to worship? Like, are you, are you ready to actually give your life as, as worship to our Lord and Savior? And that is ultimately um, where, we're, it's gonna, where Paul is going to lead us in the rest of the book of Romans. But, but some of you might be sitting here today going, I, you know, the answer, my answer to that question, am I ready to worship, is no. Like, I don't want to worship I don't want to be a worshiper. Well, as I said last week, one of the things you've got to be clear about, guys, is, is we are all worshipers. Everybody who's ever lived, not just everybody in this room, not just everybody that professes faith in Christ, everybody is a worshiper of something or someone. So the question just isn't about if we worship. The real question is what is the object of our worship? And what this morning has already so beautifully led us into is that the object of our worship is to be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Now some of you are sitting here and going, yes, I want to live a life of worship and I just don't really know how. Like what does that look like? Well, that's, that's what the last six verse or chapters um, of Romans is going to, or last five chapters of Romans is going to lead us into, is Paul's going to say, because of what the gospel is, now here's what the gospel does in your life. So to kind of launch us into that, I want to ask our first talking points question. When I say, what, um, when I say something like, um, you need to live like a Christian, what kinds of things come to mind? Now, before, I, before we get to all the super spiritual answers, right, that, and I love that you guys are growing in maturity, that we are together, are growing in maturity of what it really means to live like, like Jesus, what, what would the church throughout history have said to answer that question? What, when I say live like a Christian, what does that look like? like? What comes to mind? What kinds of things come to mind? Charity, good. What else? Being in the Word, okay, we're, we're already defaulting to the super spiritual. I love that about you guys, but let's just be real and honest. 
like let's not let's not always have the the correct answer. I, I I don't mean like the answer I'm looking for. I mean like the answer that sounds super spiritual. What is the church said being living like a Christian looks like? Never sinning. The don't list, the can't, all the can'ts, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't, you know, all the, all the, don't watch those kinds of movies, don't listen to that kind of music, don't, 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 good. Guys, we gotta, we gotta acknowledge those things. Like, we can't just sweep that under the rug and go, well, the, 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 Chris, the church has never, has never done anything that might give us a negative, um, that might give the world a negative opinion about us. Now, the world has a negative opinion about Christianity because the world has a negative opinion about Christ simply because of who he is, simply because of what we profess. I, there's a huge part of that that has nothing to do with our behavior. But we also have to own the parts that are part of our behavior. We have come up with a list of like of the, the moral majority, sort of this is how you're supposed to live your life. And if you're not doing that, then you're not of us. Uh, another one, Chloe, I thought your hand was up. Be a good person. Be a good person. So, just, so just put on the show. Going to church. Right? Okay, have an accountability. So, so what, would the, what would the world say looking like a Christian is? Judgmental. Judgmental in stereo by the young married couple up front. Good. What else? Hypocritical, right? It's, the church is full of hypocrites. Anybody ever tell you that? Yeah, I don't, I'm, if you try to invite people into church, you go, yeah, I don't want to come to church because the church is full of hypocrites. You know what I say to that? I say, you're absolutely right. You'll fit right in. Just come on in, right? Like, like don't, don't, don't hide from that. Embrace it, yeah. Mm. Tell me your name, brother. Stephen, thank you, Stephen. I don't know if you could hear what Stephen said. Um, I have not met Stephen yet, but Stephen said, but Stephen's spot on. And, and, if, and guys, if what Stephen just said about in denial of our own bad that we can't admit who we are. Like, like if, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Right? Like, like guys, we have got to own that because, because we get in the way of the gospel when we're like that. We get in the way of, of people seeing everything we just prayed and sang about, about the beauty of Christ. Guys, we, we don't... What we've convinced ourselves of and what today's soul work is going to be about is we think we get in the way because we're not perfect. We're not perfect. It's what Stephen just said. It's what, it's what Chloe, it's what we've just been talking about. We're not perfect. Embrace that. I mean, don't just go, okay, I need to embrace my sin. I'm saying embrace the reality that being a Christian does not make you perfect. And then, and then step into that space and go, but that's why I need, admit your need to the world, to the people. I say, that's why I need a savior, right? It's because I'm, it's because I'm not perfect. It's because I do struggle, right? So what would you say? So I already heard things like charity, things like accountability. Um, what, 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 are the, what would living like a Christian look like? Okay, persecution for most, like, we have, guys, as, and, I, and I just have to stop there for a second because I don't know if you can hear what Kara said. For most of the world, living like a Christian looked like persecution. We have lived in a, in a distinctly unique, not just time in human history, but place. America has been a distinctly unique Christian experience throughout the 2,000 years of the church and that we have never experienced persecution, which is why now when somebody comments negatively on your Christian whatever thing that you posted on Facebook, we go, look at how they're persecuting us. I'll let you in on a little secret. That's not persecution. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's silliness when you're talking about what other people are dealing with in the world. What else? But what else should Christian? So what else should should we be recognized as as Christians? Good, James. Right, true and undefiled religion is this: taking care of widows and orphans and being unstained by the world. Awesome. So that goes back to even that charity, etc. What else? Humility. Humility. Good. Led by, Led by the Spirit and not our flesh. Awesome, guys. What's that? Humility, that's right, humility. So, that, so, guys, that's where Paul is going to take us in chapters 12 through 16. 
He is going to take us into this place of what does it really look like to live in light of everything he just spent 11 chapters talking about. And so where we're at now is we're at this place of talking about making the gospel real, making the righteousness of God real. And, in this, and today we're going to look at through a life well lived. But guys, I, our, our instinct, when you hear even a phrase like a life well lived, we immediately think behavior. And, I, and I'm hoping that before you leave today and we do this soul work together, you're not thinking behavior when I talk about living your life well. Because that's not what Jesus is talking about. Now where we're at in Romans is in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. is where We're only going to look at two verses today. It is one of the five therefore statements. It is probably the most critical one. It's the hinge on which all of Romans swings. So Romans 1 through 11 is about here's what the gospel is. Romans 12 through 16 is now here's what the gospel does. My fear is as we go into chapters 12 through 16 in the coming weeks is that we we forget about chapters 1 through 11. We cannot unhook ourselves from what the gospel is and try to live out what the gospel does. Those things have to stay together. So quickly, I'm not going to go through the whole thing in Romans all over again, but I know we have new faces here. And So do you remember the other four therefores? So go back to Romans chapter 1 and look at verse 25. Here's the first, because these five therefores tell the whole gospel story, what it is and what it does, all in one, in, in, in five statements. So in, in chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore, because they rejected God, because they denied God's existence, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts and the impurity and dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because, and here it is, and we're going to talk about this a lot today, because they exchanged the truth of God, about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So we rejected God and became idol worshipers. Now, the second therefore is chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, because we've rejected God, we keep slapping his hand away, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges. For passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you do the same thing. And then he says, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice the rebellion. So he's saying, the second therefore is, since we've rebelled, God has to judge that. And we would expect that. Now, because that's true, we're all in a world of hurt. We're all rebels. We've all rejected, right? And God has to judge everyone. So, he, so here comes the third therefore, and here's the, the good news. Chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we've been made righteous by faith, by believing in the promise, we have peace with God. So we were rebels who have been reconciled by God, for God. And because that's true, Rome, praise God, Romans 8.1 is the fourth therefore. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All of that flows out of the realities of chapters 1 and 2, the beauty of chapter 5, that leads us to chapter 8. Now, we get to chapter 12, and Paul's going to say, so since all of that is true, since you were a rebel who has been reconciled by a, by a redeemer, who had, and it had nothing to do with you, how should you live your life? Like, that's ultimately what he, he, he ends in chapter 36 of verse 11 with if, if it's true that from him and through him and to him are all things and that to him be the glory forever and ever, how do we give him glory with our very lives? And so that's the question we're looking at today. The question today is, what is the reasonable response of a life that has been touched by the gospel? Like, what would be a reasonable response if you really believe in the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for you and that you will spend eternity with God because of that, how now shall you live? That's the, yeah, that, start with telling people about what the, what the message even is. Guys, the next couple weeks in particular are going to show us um, specifically like what that looks like just now, before we get on to chapters 12, through, all of chapters 12 through 16, we're going to just spend today looking at two verses. 
chapters one, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because Paul's going to do in these two verses what he did in... He launched the letter. If you remember, all the way back to last January, like a year ago January, he launches the letter of Romans with two verses. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and then the Greek. Now, you remember how much time he spent talking about Jew and Greek and Gentile and everything else? That all flows out of those first couple of verses, or those first few verses in chapter 1. And then he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. And he spends the rest of the letter talking about how the, how the righteousness of God is revealed in chapters, chapters 1 through 11. Now he's going to say, therefore, present your body a living sacrifice, acceptable to God. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed. These two verses we're looking at today launch the entire outline for the second half of the letter, chapters 12 through 16. So that's why we're going to spend today just on these two verses because they're going to show us just two. We only have two points today. So they're going to show us that, that we need to let loose of what is of less worth and we need to lay hold of the glory of God. Like this is how do you live a life? How do you live a life of, of right response to what God has done? First, you have to constantly be letting go of what is of left's worth, and you have to constantly be grabbing a hold of what of the glory of God. And all of that can only happen if we hold on to chapters one through eleven and go, "This is what the gospel is." Here's the power. It's not, it's what, it's what John started us off with today. He got up here and his first thing is he's like, I think this is about me and what I'm supposed to be doing and what I need to plan and how I need to do it. And if I just step back and let the Holy Spirit do it in me, if I just bring chapters 1 through 11 with me up here, then chapters 12 through 16 will work out okay. It's not how he said it, but that's how I heard it. So let's look at our first point. And look at how we, how do, how do we, and we're going to get really practical here in just a minute. How do we let loose of what's of less worth? So look at verse 1 of chapter 12. I appeal to you, I beg you, therefore. And some, some depending on your translation, some, some of them, because Greek or, the word order in Greek is very different than English. Some of your translations will put the word therefore right at the beginning. Therefore, I appeal to you. Others will say and so, or because of what we just read. It's all saying, in light of everything we've just talked about, brothers and sisters is the way that really ought to be translated, by the mercies of God, because of the gospel, be, or present, um, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now guys, first, that, that, I'm just going to quickly go through this, uh, the, the details of this verse, and then we're going to get practical and hands-on. Guys, when he says present your body, that is in a very, a fairly rare form of the Greek tense of a verb. He's talking about present. He's, it's in the aorist tense. It's in the active, which means you do the presenting. But it's also in what's called the infinitive. So, the, so here's what that means. It means he is saying aorist, the aorist tense of time means outside of time. So not, not you presented or you are presenting or you will present. He's saying you are always about the business of presenting from before you were born until after you die, you are presenting your body a living sacrifice. Now the infinitive tense or um, verb form actually means it's not about your physical body. He could have used a form that says, that, that would have actually conveyed, your phys, present your physical body. What he really meant by using the infinitive was, present all of you. Like every part of you. Present your body, mind, soul, will, emotions. Present every part that makes Alex, Alex. Present all of that to the throne of God as a living sacrifice. The second thing you look at is, so, so, so how he chose to write it was all of you, all, like every part of you all the time, and then he goes, a living sacrifice. Now here's what's interesting about that. In their culture, what were sacrifices? Dead animals. So the fact that he would call us a living sacrifice right away makes it very distinct. We don't really think about it because we're not sacrificing animals, I hope. But if, um, yeah, thank, thank you for the look, Karis. That's, that's a good look. You're like, what? Yeah. Um, so we are not, we are not we, but we are living sacrifices. Here's what he's saying is, and, and some of you already talked about it, we have been made alive with Christ. He died that we might live. Right? So our death is actually gives us his life. 
His death gives us his life. Now the problem with being a living sacrifice is that we tend to want to climb down off of the altar all the time. Right? He's not, he's not said, you're just, you're, here you are, now you have no power as a sacrifice. He's saying you, have the, you do have the power because you're a living sacrifice, so I want to climb off that altar and I want to put myself on it all the time, and, and we're going to get there in just a minute. Now, then he go, finishes it up with, and he says, because this is your spiritual worship. Or the NASB, I think, says spiritual service of worship. Or the New Living, I think, says something like, this is the, the true way of worshiping. Now, here's, here's, in the Greek, that word there doesn't, it, it, what it means is not spiritual. It means rational. He's, here's what Paul's saying. Presenting your body, like all of you of all time, presenting it as you're, you, you are alive in Christ, this is just the logical way to think about what we're talking about. He's saying, if you really believe what I just wrote to you in chapters 1 through 11, then the logical thing for you to do is give your life to the Lord. It, it only makes sense. Now you stop and you go, how does, how does sacrificing your life for the Lord, or how does, let me back up before we get to the Lord part, how does sacrificing your life make sense? Because he's saying that makes sense. Well, here's the answer. It depends on what you think it took for that sacrifice to happen. So think of it this way. You owe some debt. I'm not going to say how much, but you owe some debt. And a collection agent shows up at your house to either collect the debt or to collect you. And your neighbor walks over to that collection agent and says, hey, what's going on? He says, well, Doug owes us some money. Um, and, and, and maybe that collection agent could be a legal or illegal one, let's say, right? Um, and that collection agent says, hey, Doug owes us some money, and the but he's not here right now, right? So, uh, and the neighbor says, you know what? I'll pay for you. I'll, I'll, pay, the, I'll pay the debt for him. I come home. And my neighbor says, hey, um, there were some dudes in um, pretty sketch, and, and, and they were demanding that you pay, but I just paid for you. Now, do I owe, should I now, at that point, live my life sacrificing for my neighbor because he sacrificed for me? Don't answer. Do you, do you get what I'm asking? Because of what he did for me, he paid my debt. Am I, should I now live my life in service to him? I don't mean in worship. I just mean in service to him. Here's the answer. It depends on how big the debt is. Right? I mean, if the, if the collection agency was only looking for the $22 I back owed on my utility bill, I probably shouldn't go, I, I, I'm just going to live serving you now. How can I, I'm going to do your yard for the rest of my life. I'm going to, like, I, but if the debt I owed was a billion dollars, and that neighbor, just out of the kindness of his heart, goes, I paid it all for you. You don't owe me anything. I'd probably be like, no, that, that, I'm, I'm gonna, what do you want me to do for you for the rest of my life? Because I owe you huge. Do you see, now I get like all analogies, it breaks down, but do you see where I'm going with that? The question, it goes back to what Stephen said, do we recognize our, our level of debt? See, the problem is I can say, well, you've got, in light of the beauty of, of Romans 1 through 11, then present your body a living sacrifice. That only actually motivates us if we get just how far in debt to God we are. Because Jesus came when the collection agency showed up and he said, you have an insurmountable debt by anyone but me. And I am going to pay it in full. Tetelestai. It is finished. That's what the cross did. That's the difference. That's, that is our motivation for presenting our body as a spiritual, logical service of worship. But guys, the reason it doesn't seem very reasonable to us is because we hold on to too much stuff. The reason it doesn't seem reasonable to us to, to live our lives like fully for him, even if we believe in all that he has done for us in the gospel, is because we're not willing to let go of stuff. Now here comes the soul work. 
when you guys walked in the door, I don't, and this is for kids too, when you guys walked in the door, you were hopefully given a three-by-five card. If you did not get one of these, or you do not have something to write with, and I'm talking to young people too, if you're old enough to write, you need to have one of these, and you need something to write with. There are pens and cards on the back table there. There are pens and cards here. We're going to take, take the time, and we're going to make sure everybody's got one. So if you don't have one, get one. Now, guys, what we're about to do for the next five or ten minutes is only going to work if you'll do two things. If you'll participate, like genuinely, I don't just mean go through the motions, I mean actually in your heart participate, and what I mean by that is if, and you'll get real. You'll get real. You won't, you won't just put down the nice churchy answer you won't put down the safe answer. You'll actually, now, here, now here's how I want to help you get real. I want you to hide what you're writing. Because here's what's, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. I get that there are no secrets between spouses. I also get that, that, guys, I also get that there are things in the dark night of your soul that you do not want anyone else to know about. And, and this only will help you, this activity we're about to do will only help you if you are willing to, put, so, so if you have to take your Bible and put it on your lap so you can move away from the people and you can write like this, I am, I'm not only giving you permission, I am telling you to hide what you're writing. Okay? Are we ready? So now, so we're going to walk through a series of questions. They're on the back of your, um, they're, they're, it's the second talking points, and we're going to look at some things that you might need to let go of in order to grab a hold of the glory of God. Because the reason it's not reasonable to give your life away is because we don't want to let go. So I wanted, to, I, I, I wanted to think through some, what are some areas that we need to let go? Now all you're going to do is on one side of the card, just one side, you're going to write down the first thought that comes to mind. The first word. Okay, don't overthink this. The, you have these questions on your handout. You can go back and revisit this later. In this moment, right now, I want you to think about what are you, like, what is your first answer, and then I want you to write it on your card where no one else can see it. Father, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I do pray that the Holy Spirit would enlighten us to what, to the soul work that we need to do. Lord, and I pray this would all be that, in the, that, that as we walk out of here even today, it, we would look more like Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Okay, so I'm just going to give you like a couple, of, a few seconds at the end of every one. So here's the first one. The thing I would most, the thing I would be most worried about losing is. The thing I would be most worried about losing is. The thing I would be most worried about never attaining or getting is. This could be an actual thing. This could be a career, a family, a marriage, depending on what stage of life you're in. The thing I am most worried about never attaining or getting is. Third one, the thing that causes me the most stress is. Remember, by thing, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. It could be something else. Related, but not the same, at least not in my mind. Now, you might use the same words more than once because in your mind they're connected ideas, and that's okay. This is between you and the Lord. The thing that causes me to live in fear or anxiety is. The thing that I would change about myself or my life is.
The thing that has made me most bitter is. And you say, how does that have to do with something I'm holding on to? Here's how that has something to do with holding on. Most of the time, if you are bitter about something, it's because an idol of yours was under attack. If, you've, if, you've, if a root of bitterness has taken hold, it's because somebody has attacked an idol of yours. The thing that I am willing to lie for is... Three more. The thing that I turn to for comfort is. The thing I want approval from most is. And the last one, the thing I have been most willing to sacrifice for is. Now we're going to do something with those in a few minutes. First of all, thank you guys for taking it seriously. And we're going to do something with those. For, but for now, um, I just want to ask you to hand this to your... No, I'm just kidding. I want to ask you... <laughs> I want to I ask you to just look at some of those words, and I want you to think about how some of these things might be like the word I just like idols in your life, things that things that you have clung to that are that are unhealthy, things that that your that you have tried to get victory in in your own strength. Guys, understand this. Understand. And, we're, and then turn it over so nobody else can see it. And, we'll, and I'll tell you what you're going to do on the, back, on the other side of it here when we get done. But that way nobody else can see it. But guys, understand this. That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying to you, everything on that side of the card, he's saying, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm the only one who has the power and the strength to carry all of that. I'm not saying that when you look at that list of things that you, that you just wrote down, that you've got to walk out of here and go, I've got to fix these problems. The reason we're doing this activity, and we'll see it at the end, is because what we're saying is that Jesus Christ has fixed these problems. He is the only one who's strong enough to carry it. He is the one who's already purchased your freedom from those things. He already has. There's nothing else he needs to do. What, what Paul is telling us by presenting our bodies, all of that we have, all of the time as a living sacrifice is keep giving this junk to Jesus. You pick it back up, oh, there it is again. Pick, throw it away. He is the one who has the power to carry it. He already is. Just let him. He is secured your eternal glory. Now, we just are to live lives bringing him glory. I'm going to pray to that end before we go to our last point. Father, I just pray right now that we would be a people that would stop trying to do things in our own strength, that we would quickly and repeatedly give our junk to Jesus because he's the one who carries, can carry it for us. He's already paid the price. We already have the victory. Lord, let us let go of the stuff so that we can lay hold of the glory of God in Jesus' name. And that leads us to our second and our last point, which is what does Paul tell us to do next? In verse two, he says, so first we have to let loose of what is of less worth so that we can lay hold of God's glory. 
so that we can lay hold of the beauty of what he wrote about in chapters 1 through 11. So look what he says. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern or approve or prove or show what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the word conform there, do not be conformed to this world. The word in Greek means assimilate. That, that, not, not yet, Luke. Um, it means assimilate. It means to, it means to like, so when, we, when, he's, when he's talking about don't be conformed to this world, what he's talking about is don't go along with the mold or the pattern of this world. Don't be assimilated into the world system. Guys, do you understand that, that the world is trying to shove us into its mold? What they can accuse us of is we're trying to shove them into our mold. Now, what we're trying, what we're sh- what, now again, we, we, need to, we need to own those, those times where we do that. But what we're trying to do is show them Jesus, right? And, and let him make them. Let him transform them. But what the world is trying to do is it's trying to conform us into its own image, into its own mold. And what he's telling us is don't do that. But then he uses a different word for what we're supposed to do. He doesn't say don't be conformed to this world, but be conformed to the image of Christ. He says that other places. But here he says don't be conformed, be transformed. And the word there for transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's the same word that they would use for a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Now, when the caterpillar goes from being a caterpillar to a butterfly, its DNA is still the same. But its form is completely different. So what he's not saying is, change your behavior to be conformed to the behavior of Christ. What he's saying is, allow the Holy Spirit to metamorphize you. To change you from the inside out. Guys, remember that the first call of, the Christ, of Christ is not behave. We keep telling people to behave a certain way. What we, the first call of Christ is behold. And then believe. And then you're going to become more like me and then you'll behave. But we need to help people behold the beauty of Christ. And, and that's what he's talking about when he's talking about this idea of, of being conformed. Here's the, here's the picture that I had. And you can't see it probably, maybe, but so this is a nail. And I actually have a couple of them. So, so let's say what I was, my goal is to take this nail or even a couple of them and turn them into a cross. I turn them into one solid cross. So if I take this one nail and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this into the shape of a cross. What I could do is I could take this nail, put it in a vice grip, and just start hitting it with a hammer to get it to bend. But eventually that nail's going to break. By the time I try to twist it around and get it moving this direction, and it's, it's going to snap, or at the very least, the, the iron or the steel is going to get really weak. What's another way I could make this nail into the form of a cross? Heat it up and melt it down. Right? Put it in a crucible, melt it down, and pour it into a mold that looks like a cross. That's what Paul is talking to us about. He's saying, are you willing to be melted down and poured into a mold that looks like Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit? That's what he is trying to get us to talk about. Guys, Understand, the only way that happens, though, is the only way that internal... Tra- We're not talking about behavior. We're talking about desire. We're talking about what is your heart really desiring. And I, and I say this over and over, and I'm not going to stop saying it. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What, what consumes our mind, or what captures our mind, what we think about, what we desire, conforms our hearts. It just does. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What you're watching, what you're listening to, the kind of people that you're trying to, like, that you're, that you're following on TikTok or Instagram, or, or, and again, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm not saying something has to be overtly Christian to be good. I'm saying just acknowledge that we are always being discipled. And the thing that we're looking at is capturing, it's it's consuming our mind, it's capturing our heart, and it's molding you into its image. 
So what we have to try to do as Christians is go, okay, so how do I fixate on what is pure and right and lovely and good and, and all those wonderful things? That's ultimately where he's trying to bring us. He's trying to say, guys, we are in a war. Everybody listen. We're almost done, believe it or not. We are in a war. And the war is for human souls. But the fight is not physical. The fight is not behavior. Your fight is not with the person you're sitting next to. Your fight is not with the person on your television. Your fight is not with the politician. Your fight is not with those people that you're working with. Your fight is against the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places, the forces of wickedness that are wandering around on this planet right now trying to get us to believe lies. Guys, spiritual warfare is real. And, but, but here's the thing. The way spiritual warfare has... How, how did Satan approach Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, believe a lie. He didn't say, I'm going to do something to you. He didn't even say, I'm going to take something from you. He doesn't have the power. Do you understand that if Christ has set you free, all of you has been freed. There's no part of you that he can claim. None. There's no territory. Every square, we, we read it during our prayer time, every square inch of the universe, Jesus says, it's mine. Including the spiritual forces of darkness. He says, you're mine. You are a tool. They were made by him, for him. And he is going to be victorious over them. But guys, it is a fight in our minds. It doesn't start with our behavior. If what we fixate on, we migrate towards. If we're fixating on, guys, if you're looking at women lustfully, don't wonder why you're acting out sinfully. It didn't start with the sinful act of acting out. It started with the thought in your head. And that's true about every area of our lives. Guys, we are in a war. And the war is for the souls of people. And that war is in the mind. It, it is. And so, what, so here's, the, here's the key. How do we fix our minds on things above? How do we focus on what is beautiful and pure? In our, in our toolkit, this is our toolkit. We have them out on the connect table. Um, it looks like this. We have copies of them available. If you, so most of you have, or many of you have one. If you don't, I'd encourage you to grab one. There's all kinds of topics in the toolkit, and one of them is on a topic called renewing your mind. And it has this outline that's on the screen. I just want to read something to you before we get to that outline. But it says, we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else. This means that the most influential voice we hear is our own. So what are you saying to yourself? Because right now, I just want you to stop, and I want, you to, I, want to, I want you to find your voice. Close your eyes if you have to. Find your voice. That voice in your head, that's you. What does it say? What do you say about you? Because most of us are way harder on ourselves than, other, than we are on other people, even. As judgmental as we can be at times, me, I'm saying me, I am much harder on myself than I am on any other person I know. Because we've got to learn to change that voice. We cannot be transformed by the renewing of our mind if we are listening to the lies of the enemy. Because he is great at whispering those. He goes on to say, are you listening to the repeated lies of the enemy? Are you fixated or focusing on the world, what the world would have you believe about yourself, your life, how you live? Or are you renewing your mind moment by moment with the truth of the grace of God? In the garden, they, they bought a lie. Remember Romans, where did Paul start in Romans chapter 1? They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That is how it always begins. It, meaning all of our sin struggles, always begin with believing a lie, and those lies are coming to us from the enemy. So renewing your mind is an ongoing process, a continual battle. It is where we take every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. It is 
what he's talking about here when he talks about trans, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Guys, understand that, that what makes the gospel so good and so glorious is the fact that he has given us the power to overcome that. And in your handout, the last talking points question, and, and, and this is just an outline that I copied out of the toolkit that we, that we wrote and it says, so this, and this is where we're going to wrap up and we're going to uh, land this plane and go into our time of communion. It says, renewing your mind is an ongoing and lifelong process. It gets easier and better with practice. Here is a practical outline that will help you. So here's, this, here's our other hands-on thing. So this outline, guys, I want to encourage you to take this outline. If you need to, cut it out, copy it down. We've had seasons in our family where you would find this outline posted on cabinets, posted on mirrors, in our cars, Anywhere we needed to because we were constantly getting sucked back into the negative flesh thought, that negative voice. And so when you get there, and we all have that voice in us, catch the thought an attitude is sinful. Confess your thought. Like, do these steps. Catch the thought. Confess it for what it is. That is a sin for me to be thinking that. I am victorious in Christ. Lord, help me overcome that thought. Confess with your mouth. Claim the Holy Spirit's power to overcome the sinful thought. Don't just think, okay, now I've got to try to wrestle this thought down. Claim his victory. But now here's the part we always forget. Force your mind to exchange the sinful thought for the truth. Guys, if, if the way we get into this mess is by exchanging the truth for a lie, the way we get out of the mess is by exchanging the lie with the truth. So you've got to, so if you're struggling in certain negative thoughts, image, body image issues, um, alcohol abuse issues, what, whatever those things are, that, you're, that negative voice, your voice is telling you, find the truth of God's word that will combat that and claim it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then repeat those steps immediately when sinful thoughts happen and as often as you need to. Guys, why is that the only like, reasonable way to think? Because we, because we recognize what Christ has already done for us. So as the music team comes up and we go into our time of communion um, and then finish up with our music, I, just, I, want, I, I, I want you to do this with the other side of your card. I want you to do this with the other side of your card. I want you to think about this question. So we're going to practice renewing our mind just very quickly, very briefly. What is a reasonable response to a life touched by the gospel? That's the question we're looking at. Right? Now here's what I want you to think about. I want to walk out this Christian life the way Christ has empowered me. Not the way he wants me. The way he's empowered me to live it. And that looks like, start writing words down. I want to live this Christian life the way Christ has empowered me to do it. And that looks like, and then just start writing those words down on the other side of your card. You're going to have some more time to keep writing, so I'm just going to share with you kind of how we're going to finish up. So if you can, just stop for a second so you don't 
so you can listen to what I'm saying, so you don't get confused about what we're doing. In just a minute, we're going to go into our time of communion, but this Sunday we're going to do communion as we do occasionally as couples. There'll be a set of the elder couples on on the um, different parts of the room. You and your family, your friends, try to keep the groups fairly small so the person doesn't have to yell what they're trying to lead you through in communion. Um, But they're going to be around, just go and take communion whenever you feel led to do so, if you feel led to do so as a believer in Jesus. The other thing I would ask you to do is if if you're comfortable, and maybe even if you're uncomfortable, but you're still willing, hopefully you're uncomfortable, but still willing, is during that time, it's going to be people moving around the room anyway, take your cro- or take your card and go smash it onto the cross. There's some nails on the cross. You can just poke your card through it. Now, why, why would we put the good stuff on the cross? Because the answer is, I need Jesus to defeat the bad stuff, and he has. I need that same Jesus to empower me to live the good stuff, and he does. So give it all to him. So you can take your card, you can put it on, put it on the cross, you can take communion. We're going to sing a couple more songs. But guys, if, if you get nothing else out of today, understand that the fight that we're facing is a, the fight that you're facing, that I'm facing, that we are facing, is a fight in our heads And the way we defeat that fight, that foe, is by renewing our minds with the truth of who God says you are. Of what the cross proves about that. That's why we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion because it it, it reminds our minds of what Christ has done. So if you're going to take communion today, recognize it is finished. That's what communion is saying. Stop trying to white-knuckle like this thing yourself. You can't. He has. Just claim it. Pray with me. Father God, I just come to you, Lord, as we go into this time of communion and, and just giving our junk to you. And I thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. I thank you that, that because you have set us free, we are free indeed. But I also acknowledge that we, we struggle to live free. We do. All, every one of us struggles to live free because the enemy loves to whisper lies. Adam and Eve were free in the garden and they slipped into bondage because what, what the enemy said was, you can be your own God. What he was really saying was, I want you to be like me. And so they conformed themselves into the image of the enemy. But even then, you pursued them in your grace. And that pursuing grace has, come, has run out of that garden and is all over the world in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are pursuing us with your loving, redeeming grace. That, that you are saying, I came to give freedom to the captives. So Lord, we confess that we too often put ourselves back in bondage in, 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 in small and big ways by, by believing lies. Self-spoken lies. Flesh-spoken lies. Satan-spoken lies. Lord, annihilate those from us. Just like you've annihilated our sins from us. Let us live in the victory and the beauty and the majesty that we sang about before I started teaching, that Christ has come. That the debt is paid. That transformation is possible in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.